the loss of a loved one is considered the most devastating and potent stressor in, in human life, really. That's Diane Langberg. She's a practicing psychologist who's worked with trauma survivors and clergy for 45 years. She's authored several books, including Suffering and the Heart of God, How Trauma Destroys and Christ Restores. But that death can occur in more simple ways, so to speak, and much more complex ways. And so, you know, if a child goes missing and you never hear from them again, it's a very different loss um, than your 90-year-old parent who had a full life that you loved and they loved you. You know, those are two vastly different deaths. People grieve loss of place. There's a poem written by a refugee, and the first line is, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Home, familiarity, people you knew, traditions, culture, whatever you built there, it's completely gone. Um, And then, of course, relationships. You know, you, you end up with a divorce, or you end up... Uh, with a, a terrific friend who goes and lives on the other side of the world and you never see them again. Trauma and abuse causes profound grief reactions on multiple levels. Natural disasters do that. Think of the people where the hurricanes have taken everything or the wildfires. Life will never be the same. They won't get back what they lost. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Clark. I'm your host from Living in Effective Season 1. And welcome to Season 2. Before we start, I want to let you know this is going to be a little different than Season 1. And I wanted to tell you why. In order to do that, I'm going to tell you how to make Season 2 of a podcast. Step-by-step guide. Step 1 what you do is you schedule a meeting with the guys from Christian Standard Bible. You spend all day sort of planning out a whole season around what the Bible has to say about the prosperity gospel. It's a really good hook, right? Like everyone loves to talk about the prosperity gospel and like why people believe that stuff. Maybe there are some answers there. Plan out a whole narrative. Stumble onto the story of Peter Popoff and make it the focal point of your season. He's a prosperity gospel preacher with a fascinating story. Get excited. This is a good plan. Well, until you get to step two. You spend a couple of days with an expert on grief. His name is Todd Billings, and you think he'll be a pretty good supporting role. In a way, the reality of grief is the strongest argument against the prosperity gospel. So you expect he'll have a lot to contribute to the podcast. But as you start talking to him, you know, all of a sudden the prosperity gospel seems shallow as a subject. And grief is like the thing below the surface. It's the thing that the prosperity gospel is trying to address, but doesn't. So then you start thinking, this has to be a podcast about grief. Because that's the real issue here. Which leads us to step three. Try to write and host this thing all by yourself. Fail miserably. Become self-conscious, filled with self-doubt. Realize you need a co-host. 
Did you realize that? Uh, or was that a combined realization? We realized it together. <laughs> Other people were like, hey, some of this is bad. You're just talking into a microphone. About grief spiraling down for six hours a day. Yeah, like um, maybe don't do that. And so I said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do this with someone. <laughs> so, Joy Beth, now you're co-host That's right. of season two. I got of, promoted. You got promoted to co-host. Woo! Because grief... And talking about grief is not a good thing to talk about by yourself. It's not a good thing to, to try to deal with by yourself. Step four, talk to a practicing psychologist about the nature of grief and realize that grief isn't just linear. It's not even cyclical. It's all over the place. And no one person experiences it the same way. Step five, just accept it. This process is not going to be fun. Making a podcast about grief is going to be miserable. It's going to give you grief, literally. But just hope and trust God that in the end, maybe, it'll be worth it. We've spent a lot of time letting go of our expectations for this podcast. Sort of scrapping things, starting over. We were given a lot of freedom to do that. And we're glad because we think what we have is something important. This is a podcast that will be about something we all experience. Whether we are aware of it or not, whether we are conscious of it or not, whether we're running from it or drowning in it. Uh, grief is something we're all impacted by. A lot of us are comforting someone who's experiencing it. Some of us just desperately need to be comforted. I'm Richard Clark. And I'm Joy Beth Smith. The Christian Standard Bible and Christianity Today present Living and Effective, Season 2. A podcast about what happens when the Bible and humanity collide. I was at dinner being interviewed for another job. I just remember sitting there feeling so guilty and anxious. What am I doing this for? I won't, even if they offer me this job, I'm not going to take it. This is Timothy Brown, professor and president emeritus at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. In his time as president, he helped shape the intellectual community into a relational community, which explains why he'd be so despondent about the possibility of leaving. So I'm driving home probably 9.30 at night, and I got a call from Todd telling me that he had been to the doctor. Todd Billings is one of those faculty members, maybe one of the ones that Tim is closest with. He's the Gordon H. Gerard Research Professor of Reformed Theology and the author of numerous books, including Rejoicing and Lament and Remembrance, Communion, and Hope. I had gotten pneumonia quite a few times and been sick with a number of other things quite a few times in, in the years before. Mm -hmm. And so my doctor was just, he just couldn't figure out why. Yeah. Um, and so he just did some blood tests 
and then um, he called me in to talk to me. I didn't think much of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a I had a chapter of a book that I was editing in in the room. Yeah, I didn't think much of it at all. But then he said that it was definitely cancer. It was, you know, serious and life-threatening. So basically, I needed to start pretty intensive chemotherapy the next week. Health is another tremendous place of grieving, particularly when you you find out some somebody finds out they have a chronic illness. I mean, that's just constant ongoing dying because chronic illnesses tend to get worse. Lou Gehrig's diseases, I mean, this just goes on and on and on, not just for them, but for the people who live with them. And so you're living with death that is active for a very long time. So death meets us around many, many corners in life. My big struggle in the first few years was I kept on treating this like an acute illness. Mm. Even if I wasn't cognitively saying that, um, I would just try to push through. Mm. I had limited energy, but I would just, I would just like, okay, you know, I can, I can do it today. I'm just going to push really hard. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many times I had to do that before (laughs) those around me, my wife especially said, Todd, stop doing that. Yeah. Like you do that for one day. It takes you three or four days to recover. Uh huh. You're, you know, completely out of energy. You're grumpy. You, you know, you don't have energy for your family because right. because you tried to go an extra two or three hours yeah. then you know you can do i have to take basically nap and downtime for two hours each afternoon mm-hmm. and um i found in the long term i have the most energy when i do that very consistently yeah but i don't want to do that like, <laughs> right I, and i want to say that if i just push through with a really hard effort of the will Mm-hmm. that everything will work out. And sometimes that can be true with an acute illness. Yeah. But um, with a chronic illness or with an incurable illness, trying to just push through and ignore what your body's telling you just yeah. makes things much, much worse. Todd Billings has been told he's going to die of cancer. He isn't just an expert at grief. He's living it. So, the five stages of grief. The first stage is denial. Did you find yourself experiencing denial at all? Some of the medical literature on this has started to classify it as at least having a lot in common with trauma. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of patients with incurable cancer have at least a number of the key typical symptoms of PTSD. Okay. A friend of mine, Deanna Thompson, she's one of the only other late-stage cancer patients who's like a theologian in writing. Uh Um, There's basically her and Kate Buller and me um, that I know of. Right. She does some theological reflections on that, but... One of the definitions of trauma, its presence continues in your life, the mm-hmm. presence of, of that loss. Yeah. Um, and is actually 
kind of ever knew. Experience of an incurable cancer is an odd experience. There are ways in which I experienced some of these five stages of grief. In the first month or even the first year after my diagnosis, I had no idea of the kind of griefs and losses that I would be experiencing now. There's an acute dimension to it, like you go into the hospital and that sort of thing, but it also doesn't go away. The daily pain, the daily fatigue, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a weird sacrament, a sacrament like in terms of the Lord's Supper, especially. It orients you toward your life in Christ and the life to come and heavenly banquet to come. Well, I have bodily, concrete bodily signs like every day. Every day there's things that I say no to that I would have said yes to mm -hmm. before. So like the pain that you feel on a regular basis yeah. is sort of a liturgical reminder right, right. of your inherent mortality. Right, right. That you won't live forever in this body. And Jesus, he tells us not to be anxious. And Jesus doesn't say, because I have a great and wonderful future for you. Yeah. He says, there's enough evil for tomorrow mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Todd's vulnerability and his weakness is magnetic. The closer we are to recognizing our own weaknesses, the more we're drawn to his narrative. But Peter Popoff's a whole other story. He has an entirely different kind of magnetism, one that draws in those who might be less conscious of their own weaknesses and longing, even while they feel them most acutely. Here he is on one of his many infomercials, Sounding kind of like a Price is Right host while he's doing crowd work at a revival. Guess how much money she got after you prayed with her and you sent her the miracle spring water? How much did she get? Uh, 23000 He preaches the prosperity gospel in big letters. He may as well wear a suit with dollar signs on it. We're going to dig more into his world on future episodes. His story is pretty fascinating, to be honest. But it's not the kind of story that carries a whole season. And maybe I should have known that from the beginning. For example, here's one of his more understated infomercial clips. One of my favorite testimonies was this man who had been a, a drug dealer for 25 years. And he Popoff said, and his wife Liz are on a bland talk show style set, giving about as little effort as possible to convincingly convey what really should be a startling account of spiritual transformation. I had a bevy of prostitutes, and he said, I liberated all of them, and I became totally delivered. And devoted his life to the Lord. That's right. And doesn't he have a church now? He's now a pastor. Was it in Chicago? I believe it was in Chicago, yes. On the road, it's fireworks and money. But as crazy as this story is, the pop-offs just can't muster the same fire for something so, I don't know, spiritual? Which is to say they're not exactly excelling at the deep stuff. For the pop-offs and the prosperity gospel in general, God's work is all spectacle. So for our purposes, the prosperity gospel and Peter Popoff are bit players in our season. He's still a character in the story, He's just not the main character. Even Todd Billings isn't the main character. Really, the main character is you, the listener. 
Joy Beth, you and I experience daily griefs, just like Billings talks about. Yeah, I think they're probably pretty different from the ones that he sees. But yeah, it's weird to say, right? But, yeah. But Billings actually points out, like the Bible says, we experience griefs, new griefs daily. Yeah, and I think especially with Diane talking about death taking many forms, mm-hmm. we can, we we are justified in talking about our our griefs of creation and our griefs of. Uh, even relationship as we are battling through this together and yeah. having to sit in a cramped studio for hours on end. And right. I, I think that there's a lot to a lot of loss and a lot of, I mean, suffering in a way. Well, even the griefs that the Bible talks about and that people in the Bible talk about, like sort of span the range, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of just like a mundane impatience in scripture. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of like, you know, Job lost everything you could possibly imagine losing almost. And he grieves over that. And both of those are in some ways given equal weight. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, liturgies in Every Moment Holy put out by the rabbit room Mm -hmm. is uh, when it's a prayer over toddlers. Mm -hmm. um, And it's like when you're having like really hard days with your toddlers. Yeah. And it talks about... I think my wife might have that memorized. It's so good. Uh And it talks about how like having patience for them because they're fighting bad, like big battles of their own and facing down mountains of their own. And I actually really love that. Like the idea that my three-year-old niece... Like her big battle yesterday was that she had gone swimming and she like her feet were slipping on the floor and she was incredibly frustrated Yeah, and she just like couldn't get it done. And so she was crying and stuff. And I was like, are you upset with Titi? And she was like, Titi, my feet are slipping. Mm. And like that was her battle that day. And I it's my job to be like patient and understanding with that. And I love the idea that griefs are big to us. And even though they might not feel big to someone else and I don't have to justify my grief to you and you don't have to justify yours to mine and we don't have to even compare sizes, you know, like we can just say that griefs are griefs and the point isn't for them to be compared. The point is actually just to kind of exist together. Right. Totally. So you and I have both had, you know, more traditional griefs in our life. We've had experiences of tragedy and pain in our lives. I've been divorced that's not something I wanted to happen. And uh, I've also had my dad die around the same time, actually, as my divorce. And so that altered my life significantly and also gave me a, a genuine interest in grief and how to handle it because I, I sort of experienced on my own what it was like to <laughs> go through grief as a Christian in the church and, and feel like some people get it, some people don't, you know. Has that been a your experience? Like I, I've had large moments of grief over lots of my life from like childhood trauma to the death of my aunt who raised me mm-hmm. to, you know, seeing people who are close to me and I mean, really severe car accidents. Lots of people in my family have passed away or endured, I mean, pretty significant like health issues. Yeah. And so that kind of long term grief is something that's I have had to kind of navigate emotionally because for a long time I tried to process it all on the front end and kind of front load my emotions. It all felt very active all of the time. Right. Like that grief was at the front of mind. And I think I've learned or I've had to learn how to kind of coexist with the grief 
because a lot of those things I'm still processing through for it to not take up as much space as it used to or for it not to feel as demanding and distracting in my daily life and that has been a a coming of age thing for me I think and it's interesting because you are really conscious of grief being like an everyday thing in your life and in a way that is true for all of us I think coming to grips with that and figuring out what it means for us is part of the point of this podcast even if we don't have a lot of concrete answers I mean really what we want to explore this season is if the Bible doesn't answer all of our questions about grief and suffering what does it give us a lot of those questions are asked of God in the Bible, and a lot of them are still left unanswered, at least directly. But there's a kind of solace and hope that accompanies pain and mystery in our lives, and that's what I think we want to explore. Yeah, and I think for me, I would love for the podcast to become a kind of grieving space, which is a concept that Diane introduces at the top of the show. And I, you know, if I'm working with a client, I always encourage them to find spaces like that. For some people, it's by the water. Some people, it's in the woods. Some people, it's in the cemetery. But they also need companions that are safe grieving spaces, so they're not always isolated. They should be safe while they grieve. And they should have space for it in their lives because it is a very important task that Jesus did, too. I mean, you know, he grieved over Jerusalem, he grieved over Lazarus, and he knew he was going to make that all better shortly. And he wept. Todd's done more than simply live with his suffering. His response to suffering is to pour all of his intellectual energy into studying what the Bible has to offer those who suffer and grieve. Aranus talks about it in terms of death is part of our growth and maturity or union with God and the dying process itself is part of this sanctification and without death we wouldn't have this sort of stepping stone. Tim Brown, the seminary president where Todd works that you heard at the top of the show, is still grappling with his friend's imminent death. I pray for Todd every day. Mm -hmm. And my prayer is, uh, Lord, if it is your will, take him as a very old man, mm. having lived to see his children all walking in the truth, yeah. enjoying the gift of grandchildren. I mean, I pray that every day. I got to spend a lot of time with Todd Billings. I spent two days just sort of hanging out where he hangs out. And I have to tell you, his community expands way beyond just a friendship with the seminary president. You know, his son showed me around his home. His daughter was there skeptically watching me the whole time. And his wife was there just sort of matter-of-factly talking to me about their situation. Todd Billings is a remarkable scholar and professor. I sat in on a couple of his classes. I watched him interact with students, both one-on-one -on -one and at lunch. And the impact he has on them is just really clear to me. He's having conversations with them about ministry and their struggles, questions of suffering and mortality, and what really struck me was that it's a two-way street. These students were comfortable not just learning from him, but providing their own input into his ideas. I sat in on one class where international students were able to share their experience with how their home country handled suffering. I sat in on a book lunch where 
his students critiqued, sometimes brutally, his own book that he was working on. And Billings took notes the whole time. He's a great teacher, but it's not like Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society. He's not the kind of teacher who rips up textbooks and has everyone stand on their desks. Billings' secret is kind of a quiet humility, an openness to his students, which is even more impressive when you consider the extent of his expertise. Todd is a much beloved teacher. Mm. He's very popular with students. Yeah. Uh, he's thoughtful, he cares. Uh, he gives terrific feedback. Huh. Yeah, he's he's a rock star, actually. Yeah. He also sits in the most esteemed chair that we have, the Gerard Research Chair in Reform mm-hmm. Theology. That's a $4 million investment. Wow. Uh, cool. And I remember telling them, I have just the young man, mm-hmm. just the young man. So Todd Billings has success, but he's dying. His life has a trajectory, but it's ending. Still, he's focused on creating grieving spaces in his home, his relationships, and in his workplace. I feel like this is a lot like life, where we have to hold the tension of finding happiness or success in one area, but losing it in another. Yeah, exactly. Life is like that, and then grief is like that, right? Where you think you want to you want to get out of it. You want to move on from it. You want to sort of power up, level up. And then the next thing you know, you're sort of back at what feels like the beginning. This is something Diane made abundantly clear to us when she was giving us advice about the podcast. Okay. And then... She was just telling me how, I had, how we had it all wrong. Oh, oh, good. Just kidding. No, it's the whole stages of grief aren't. That's not how I said it. Yeah, no, she was very kind about it. (laughs) Oh, oh, good. So everything we've done to this point may be upset. That's fun. (laughs) Well, it's certainly not linear. When people hear stages, they think, you know, elementary school, first grade, second grade. Grief is not like that. Grief is all over the map. That's part of the difficulty of it because you can feel like you've gotten through a lot of it and then feel like you're back at the beginning again. I think that you want to keep in the forefront of your mind that you are talking to people who don't want to hear what you have to say. You'll also be talking to people who have been terribly damaged in their own grieving spaces by Christians who did not find true comforters, who who found instructors and who found judgment and you're not doing it right and you're taking too long, none of which is Christ-like. So you're dealing with people who are sure they know how to do this and and who don't want to hear what you have to say because you'll disturb them. You're dealing with people who've been wounded by people like that. So that's a pretty big task. But I think you want to keep both audiences in your head all the time. So that's the challenge, right? We have to keep two audiences in our head at all times. The stakes are really high. That's a scary proposition, right? Yeah, and I think one of the hardest parts for us in making this has been that we identify so much with the audiences, like those two audiences that Diane represents. Yeah. Depending on the circumstance, we swap back and forth between relating to each audience. Right. Like sometimes I feel terribly caustic and ignored and bitter about the state of the church and their dealings with things. But then at other times, it's a little bit more hopeful for me. And you're the one who can take on that mantle, kind of. Every episode of this podcast will explore one of the five stages of grief. I want you to understand, these are not linear stages. 
These are different ways in which we all experience grief. And we all tend to experience them at one time or another. So this is going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy uh, either to listen to or to make this podcast. You know, it's something that I think, like grief itself, it's going to take some twists and turns. But I think the nice part is that we've, we've kind of gone through this together with each other. And one of our dreams is to bring other people into that journey with us. Yeah, to create, like Diane talks about, like a safe space for people to sort of process their grief and talk about it with others. Living and Effective is a collaboration between CT Creative Studio and the Christian Standard Bible. All of Season 2 is available now at livingandeffective.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Living and Effective is hosted by me, Richard Clark. It's written and produced by me, my co-host Joy Beth Smith, and Cray Allred. Additional writing by Nick Reinerson, Michael Wojcik, and Nick Thompson. Music from Yawns, Sweeps, and the Gray Havens. Audio from the television program Peter Popoff, Miracle Ministry, was used in this episode. On the next chapter of Living and Effective, Season 2. Misplaced faith is incredibly powerful. It can lead us to help build mansions for men like Peter Popoff. One of the ironies of the prosperity gospel is... The bigger your mansion is, the more people believe that you earned it. I became this heir apparent of their anointed mantle. Everybody was always prophesying over me is that I'm going to be the next great faith healer. Denial functions like a drug for a broken heart. Death is just irrational. It's a result of the fall. It's the last enemy to be destroyed. This unjust thing has just occurred. And, you know, what is the now a natural response to that?